It's Monday, October 22nd, and this is The Daily Dive. The Saudi foreign minister says the killing of Jamal Khashoggi was a tremendous mistake. The story from Saudi officials is that Khashoggi was strangled after a fistfight, but it still doesn't explain why he was dismembered. As one senator said, you don't bring a bone saw to an accidental fistfight. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for how President Trump is reacting to all of this. And we also discuss the migrant caravan headed towards the U.S., now said to have more than 5,000 people marching. Next, we get a little black mirror on you, as Google has announced that its phone-calling AI assistant Duplex is headed to some phones before the end of the year. Emily Dreyfus, senior writer at Wired, joins us for a look into how AI is changing the way we offload everyday tasks to technology and interact with other people. We also reminisce about the good old days of AOL Instant Messenger, when you only had to worry about creeps on the other side of the chat. Now we have to worry about bots too. Finally, Lotto Fever continues to grip the country. Nobody won the Mega Millions or the Powerball over the weekend. This pushes the Mega Millions to a record $1.6 billion and can only go higher before the next drawing on Tuesday. My producer Miranda joins us for how the people behind Mega Millions change the odds and tweak the game to create record-setting jackpots. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I've spoken to the king. I want to speak with the crown prince. And, you know, I think we're getting close to solving a very big problem. This is a horrible event. Uh, It has not gone unnoticed. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. We're continuing on this story of international intrigue and international headlines about Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post writer and columnist. He stepped into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul and was attacked. He was murdered. He was dismembered. That's what all the reports say. Saudi Arabia released what they say happened now, and they said that it was a fistfight gone wrong. And then he, (laughs) I still, I guess... The word is that he still was dismembered. One of the senators over the weekend was saying, you don't bring a bone saw to an accidental fistfight. Everybody roundly doesn't really accept it. They don't think that they're telling the truth. And everybody's pushing for the president to react in an appropriate way now. What do we know about how everybody's taking this news? The members of Congress who are keeping close tabs on this are voicing a lot of concern about what happened. Saudi Arabia is an American ally. It's one of our strongest allies in that part of the world. We do a lot of business with them. We buy oil from them. They buy weapons from us. President Trump has been pretty pleased with this relationship because it has provided what he saw as jobs and economic growth to the United States. And so in the first week or so of this really foreign diplomatic crisis that has unfolded, he was sounding very apologetic to the Saudis. And that has shifted in the last few days over the weekend. President Trump told the Washington Post that he didn't believe the Saudis were being honest about what had happened in that consulate in Istanbul. This is not over. There are U.S. members of Congress who are going to want to see some type of sanctions or retaliatory efforts. The Europeans are likely to start to weigh in on this issue. And I spoke with some members of the House Republican Foreign Affairs Committee members, and they were saying that, you know, we have to be measured in our response, but there needs to be some kind of response. And the big question that's going to be is whether or not President Trump could be convinced to cancel a rather large weapons purchase that the Saudis had made from the U.S. Right. And that's where a lot of it lies. Part of it is they want to constrain Iran and 
They see Saudi Arabia as a critical ally in that effort. As you said, there's the arms sales. The president over the weekend said, if we lose all this money, I think he said something about $110 billion. If we lose all this money, it's going to hurt us more than it's going to hurt them because they'll just go to Russia or China and that's just going to hurt us more. So there's a lot on the line. A lot of people are also bringing in Jared Kushner into this because the reports say that he is pretty good friends with Mohammed bin Salman, although the president said, oh, they don't know each other too well. They're just two young guys, and I think they like each other. So there's like a lot of eggshells to be walked upon, but nobody believes this report. And they're saying that there could only be two alternatives. Either the crown prince ordered this hit or he's losing control of his inner circle. This hit team were all tied to him, basically. It's unclear what the political stability is like inside Saudi Arabia, especially as you point out, whether or not this is a sign that the prince is losing control. There's a lot unfolding. And President Trump, who's not known for being nuanced or delicate in his handling of any foreign or domestic affairs, is going to be challenged to maybe be a little more nuanced and delicate in this one. We've also been talking a lot about the midterm elections, the impact that this could have, although I feel like politically this issue probably won't hurt the president too much. In the meantime, he's doing a lot of rallies, talking up some more possible tax cuts. Immigration is always on the table. President Trump has said that he would love to talk about immigration more and this caravan, which we now understand may have swelled to as many as 5,600 people walking to the U.S. border is giving him a little fuel for that. The Republicans are acknowledging, at least privately, that they're in trouble for the coming midterm elections, that they could lose 40 seats. They're still searching for a message. They're searching for a rallying cry. Last month, it was Kavanaugh, and they were going to talk about Kavanaugh every day. We've seen that switch to talking about immigration. And then now we've got Mitch McConnell out talking about changing Social Security and Medicare and reducing the deficit. President Trump switching to this talk about passing another tax bill, which would be virtually impossible, especially since members of the House have gone home until after the election. They're really looking for something to tell voters that they've done or that they're going to do should they be reelected. With the economy doing so well, that should be the top thing, you know, the top seller. Hey, we're working for you. Everything is working out for you. But they're still having this difficulty And one interesting development was the Arizona Republic. In an op-ed, they endorsed uh, Democratic Senate candidate Kristen Sinema over Republican Martha McSally. It was the first time that paper has done that since at least the year 2000. They based it off of the political division. That's just pretty telling if that paper there is endorsing the Democrat over the Republican. We're seeing newspapers endorsing Democrats in places that they haven't endorsed Democrats in a long time. You mentioned Kristen Sinema in Arizona. We saw the Des Moines Register in Iowa give a pretty aggressive supporting of Democrats, a newspaper that has traditionally supported Republicans. This is a sign that people are unhappy with the climate. They're unhappy with the level of discourse. I've been out talking to voters in Ohio, and I have a number of them tell me, I'm happy about the economy. I'm happy about the jobs, but I'm not happy about the tone or the level of civility or health care or even just the tax bill not providing them with any assistance. So people acknowledge that the economy is better, but they still want to see change in Washington. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
the computers are already dealing with our calculations and our ability to get somewhere and navigation. Now the trend is to let the computers also deal with our social interactions. Joining us now is Emily Dreyfus, senior writer at Wired. It's October. I love Halloween and I want to get into that mood. Uh, we found your article, The Ick That AI Impersonates Humans. When I was reading it, it played to me kind of like an episode of Black Mirror, just like what's on the horizon in this quickly advancing technological world that we're in. You start off by talking about, and we heard about this a few months ago, Google announced this new thing called Duplex, which is this phone calling artificial intelligence. Right. Early on, they slated it as, you know, it'll help you make reservations at a restaurant or help you make a hair appointment. And it uses this voice that sounds completely human. It has ums and uhs and mistakes, and it sounds like a person. You would never know that it was a robot on the other side. So tell us yeah. about the future of this kind of artificial intelligence. So what inspired me to write this article is that Google announced that that technology, the Google Duplex voice assistant, is going to be coming to people who have Android phones in certain metropolitan areas in the U.S. very soon. So it's no longer going to be just a theoretical thing, but actually people are going to be able to do it and use it on their phone. And when they first demoed it back in May, it shocked people because this is a personal assistant who sounds so human. She's so much more human sounding than the Amazon Echo, for instance, which sounds very much like a computer and which can't answer a lot of your questions. The Google Duplex right sounds really real and is nimble and doesn't seem yeah. to get caught off guard when talking to you. This is a part of a growing trend of limiting all the stuff that we have to do. All these rideshare apps, everything's being automated. They tell you when your car is there. Food delivery apps tell you when your food's there. Airlines tell you about delays. Everything's already coming to you because of artificial intelligence. You don't need an actual person to interact with you. The new trend is, okay, the computers are already dealing with our calculations and our ability to get somewhere and navigation. Now the trend is to let the computers also deal with our social interactions. And that's what Google Duplex is at its heart. It's saying you shouldn't have to pick up the phone and make your own restaurant reservation. That's a task you don't need to deal with. Why have to talk to that stranger and have that conversation? We'll just take that off your plate. And that sounds fine, but I worry about what is lost as a human in society when we take away those small interactions with strangers, which right. I mean, to me, I kind of, I love talking to strangers. I know <laughs> I might be crazy, um, but that's how you meet people. That's how you meet um, interesting people. I, I love the way you characterize it in the article. You know, a, a human interaction has moved increasingly online. And, you know, it's a throwback to my time as well, back when AOL Instant Messenger was the new thing. Yeah. And you'd worry, parents would worry who you're talking to because you don't know who the creep is on the other side. Now with the advancement of all these artificial intelligence things, now you don't know if you're actually talking to a real person. You might be talking to a bot the whole time. Privacy concerns, which everybody really gets impassioned about, privacy concerns arise from this type of thing also. Totally. I mean, a law just passed in California that chatbots have to announce themselves as chatbots before they can continue to talk to you so that people are not tricked into talking to a computer when they think they're talking to a human. And that is what Google Duplex will do. Google Duplex will say, hi, this is Google's personal voice assistant. I'm calling to make an appointment for Emily for a haircut. And that is so that people don't get caught off guard and know what they're dealing with. 
with. So the other part, the other thing that I wrote about in my article is is more a little bit more black mirrorish because it doesn't exist yet. And there is no demo. It is just a rumored phone that the creator of Android, Andy Rubin, is working on with his company, Essential Products. This was reported by Bloomberg. The rumor is that he is working on a phone that will be able to automatically text and email on its owner's behalf after getting to know its owner's personality. Oh my gosh. You're right. The As things gain in traction and advance so quickly, there probably could be a phone that does that. And, and you know, then it's making appointments for you and all this stuff yeah, in, independently of you. Yeah, and it's not just suggesting to you like, hey, do you want to reply or hey... Do you want to have an appointment? It's actually empowered with the agency to make the decision for you. So you get a text message that's like, hey, do you want to meet for dinner? And hypothetically, your phone could say, yeah, I do. And my concern is that changes fundamentally so many aspects of social interaction if we are letting our computers make those decisions for us. But I also have just a logistical and practical question about how something like that would work. I mean, if my phone agrees to a dinner date for me, how do I make sure I know that I have agreed to that? And what if my friends show up to dinner and I'm not there and they're pissed off at me? Right. Am I the one to blame or is my phone to blame? It's It, or, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Or you're just talking to a friend in person and then you double book yourself because your phone did it for you. I mean, exactly. th you know, this is like you say, we were talking about Black Mirror and stuff, but this leads us further beyond that into the, the movie with Joaquin Phoenix and her. And then all these AIs totally. are going to be talking to each other and then leave everybody at the end of it. You know, it, it, I mean, I just love all of this future talk, but it's not so far off anymore. These AI things are advancing so fast. You mentioned the law passed in California that they have to disclose their chatbots because things are moving so fast and all that regulatory stuff is always so far behind. Some people are very against this chatbot disclosure law because they think that it might quiet or stymie innovation in the chatbot market, which actually, you know, these kind of automated tech services have a real utility. And so there's both a lack of regulation and then there may also be a knee-jerk need to regulate out of fear. This is a very uncharted territory, I would say, um, but we are already in it. You know, it's serious. It's also, you know, we've been talking about the funny or unexpected or weird ways in which these bots will affect society, but also bad actors can take advantage of these bots and turn them into spam machines or other nefarious uses. And at the moment, we are at the mercy of the tech companies to try to design these products in such a way as to minimize their potential for abuse. But we just are basically crossing our fingers and hoping right. for the best. And the trust is not always there. So in the meantime, beware the robots. Emily Dreyfus, right. senior writer for Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I think this has become a national cultural phenomenon. And of course, the great thing about buying a lottery ticket is the dream that it lets you have. We're tracking sales as they come in and estimating to the best we can. But, you know, hold on to your hats. It could go up even further. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. Lottery fever continues to hit the country. Nobody won the Mega Millions. Nobody won the Powerball. The numbers have reached historic proportions. The Mega Millions is now at $1.6 billion dollars. The Powerball is somewhere in the range of uh, $620 million. It's just astronomical, these figures, and everybody's buying tickets in mass. 
I know my friends and I started our own lotto pool. I have work lotto pool. I'm buying individual tickets on my own. <laughs> and this is all exactly what it's designed to do. There was tweaks made to the Mega Millions and the Powerball in recent years. And it was designed to do this, to increase the jackpots, to increase the number of infrequent players, people that don't normally play, and all boost everything up. So Miranda, you were looking into this. How does this all work? How have they changed it so that these historic jackpots occur? Let me tell you how it used to work. So Mega Millions players could pick five numbers from one to 75. And there was a mega number you chose from one to 15. And the odds of winning the top prize were one in about 259 million people. And apparently people were bored with that. They didn't like winning the smaller, more frequent jackpot payoffs. They wanted these busting numbers, the hundreds of millions, the almost a billion dollar jackpot. Yeah, officials worried of something called jackpot fatigue. Everybody winning, so it doesn't even matter anymore. So this is how they tweaked the numbers. Basically now you can pick five numbers from one to 70 and the mega number increased, like I said, from one to 15. Now you choose from one to 25 and the odds of winning that jackpot are just about one in 303 million tickets. So by reducing the number of balls, the first five increases the chances of winning a smaller prize and raising the mega balls makes it harder to win that actual jackpot because you've got to win all six numbers to win the jackpot. And this also plays on human psychology, this spirit of optimism. You know, I can be the next winner. I can be a mega millionaire. And they discovered when these jackpots grow so high that skeptical players start playing. Like I said, the infrequent player, they'll buy a ticket just to chance it. They also increased the line for a bet to $2. Mm -hmm. It used to be $1. The Mega Millions has been in some form since 1996. So these little tweaks have all changed it. And this also plays into the jackpot growing. Last week, the Mega Millions was at $868 million. Then it jumped to $900 million. Then it was 970. By midday Friday, it was 1 billion. Now it's 1.6. And by the time the contest rolls around again on Tuesday, it's probably going to go up even more. It could be closer to 2 billion. They say, Oscar, that U.S. lottery sales just this year so far have totaled more than $77.7 billion. That's up 5 billion from last year. That's so crazy. Everybody's spending all this money and not winning anything. I always love the odds and things like that. It's about a one in 303 million, maybe a little more as more people buy. You're about 400 times more likely to get hit by lightning. <laughs> I also like this one. If every adult in the U.S. purchased just one ticket, each with a different number, there would still be a good chance about 7% that no winner emerges from that lottery drawing. There was a professor from San Diego who projects these kinds of anomalies, and he was surprised that nobody won on Friday night, but he is almost certain that someone will win on Tuesday because he says it's nearly mathematically impossible. And he was saying, if you want to guarantee yourself a win, you could pay about 600 million bucks <laughs> right. and buy tickets with every single possible combination, but you'd probably have to split the winnings with someone. You have a better shot, Oscar, of flipping a coin and having it land on heads 28 times in a row. We were talking about just how many people are buying stuff. One local Nebraska newspaper reported that tickets were selling at a rate of 400 tickets a minute. Wow. And in California, on Thursday before the last drawing, they sold about $5.7 million during the first half of the day. So it doesn't even count for those people hitting it right before seven. It's just amazing. The next Mega Millions is on Tuesday. Give your tickets. I have a few tickets. I have to buy more right before the drawing. And then the next Powerball is going to be on Wednesday. So good luck to everybody. You're probably not going to win. But if you do, man, I, Send want, us to, some money. I want to be your friend. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. All right. 
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.